Morning guys, welcome back to Stargirl, it's Emma. Today is February 2nd, 2023. Um, it is bright and early over here. Oh my gosh, it is such a beautiful day. It's like sparkly, cold sun shower. So, so beautiful. Um, okay, well, let's jump right in. Uh, I guess I will say that th my brain is like scrambled fucking eggs <laughs> the past couple of weeks. I just like cannot get organized. Oh my God. Um, as a stack of papers fall off my desk, I cannot get organized. Um, this episode is going to be like very random. I already know and can just feel it. But um, I think <laughs> it's random that the breadcrumbs of themes we've been leaving ourselves have like now led us to like culminate some of them with the person we're talking about today. <laughs> Cami <laughs> Telez because she's like very very random and like arguably not relevant um but like one sec hey everybody I'm here with Cami Telez the founder and CEO of Parade Cami thanks for joining us thank you so much for having me Steve so let's take it all the way back home tell yeah. me where you're from where you grew up and kind of what you were into back in the day. Yeah, so both my parents are actually immigrants um, from Latin America, from Colombia, um, and they came here um, after a lot of the kind of civil wars that were happening um, in the late 90s. So I was born in Berkeley, California. Um, I started working in startups when I was 17. I was really young. Um, I started to you know, be really interested in frontier technology and understanding how um, people or communities were going to form online. For me, really, as I started investing in venture capital um, through college, um, I saw more and more this sort of emergence of, of brands that had an opportunity not to just be, um, you know, redefine their industries from, a, you know, a value chain perspective, but also rethink um, the way that, you know, they're connecting with their customers. Okay, sorry, I just had to look up a slight interview with her because I realized I actually didn't know how to pronounce her name. And so <laughs> I had a moment of panic, but then I realized I actually was pronouncing her name correctly. So great. Um I do have a handful of little Stargirl news. One, um, hence the intro song, um, <laughs> was that this is a couple of weeks ago now, but Addison's boyfriend, Omer, was photographed wearing a Meat Puppets shirt. Meat Puppets are like a core uh, like band of my childhood. My parents loved them. Definitely like one of the most hours clocked family listening was the Up on the Sun, their album from 1985. Um, and all, wait, also just on that note is that Omer shaved his head. Uh, yeah, he shed the, the, the red, the red locks and he's looking much better. And, you know, I have to say, like, I remember when I co recorded Addison's episode, like what, six months ago or something. Um, and I was like really skeptical of him and I thought he was a bad influence and <laughs> that she was like getting into drugs. Clearly, he is a good influence for a number of reasons. One, it seems like he really grounded her and that she has like become more confident and like bloomed in this whole other way from that relationship where he kind of like, you know, gave her like access A, to just be herself and then also to enter these kind of other artistic worlds. Not that the work he creates is particularly uh, interesting, but like obviously he kind of has this library of, of knowledge of music and of art and we can see his influence, I believe it's his influence that's leaking through and she's like, you know, like posting like herself listening to Burial or something. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, so she's like doing her homework and he's he's kind of, uh, yeah, giving her this like syllabus. Um, so uh, I am now like totally a fan and I was very uh, happy to see him wearing that t-shirt. 
this leads into my next point uh, or my next news item, which is, okay, Beyonce is going on world tour and Rihanna's performing at the Super Bowl. Okay, this is really significant to me because both of these two women have been around and have been like the main two pop stars for like 2023. Like I'm like, when did, when did SOS come out? Let me look this up. SOS Rihanna. I was going to say 2005. It came out in 2006. Okay. So, you know, we are coming up on 20 years of these girls being like the main performers. That is a testament to their ability as performers and stars and the fact that they can really hold it down. But um, I'm like, where is anyone else? You know, so this is like where with the Doja Cat, we keep getting all these nominees for the next generation of people who are going to be able to perform at that level, not just in their shows, but also just the way that they turn out in public. And I'm like, no one is really securing their spot. Like we just keep seeing all of these different girls and it's like, yeah, not quite. And, and not, and also not quite, you know? So, I mean, Doja Cat, we already talked about Olivia Rodrigo. It was like, and uh, up and bye, you know? So I just, I'm like, where Dua Lipa, Dua Lipa is an entirely different conversation that, uh, even among some of my closest friends is a very fraught point because I think she gives full bot vibes. And a lot of people seem to think she's like the hottest thing ever, the like so fun, like so girly. And I'm like, I don't know. It's really giving lights on nobody's home to me. Yeah, there's just not the like aggression and the, um, you know, I'm always talking about like ability to kind of like command space. Um, I've just been thinking about that. And um Oh, I mean, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, they're very like Obama era, wine, wine. I'm like, I don't care. Like, I haven't seen somebody since I have been, <laughs> since I have been like uh, at a, at an age to be targeted pop culture. I haven't seen anybody who can like just throw down like these, these two women. And I also, oh wait, this is like, this is kind of an aside, but like Beyonce and Rihanna to me kind of perfectly, um, perfect models for like a a crude divide among women, which is like roughly like girls who smile with teeth and girls who smile with no teeth, you know? So like Beyonce, that's the smile with teeth girls and Rihanna, that's the smile with no teeth girls. Um, So yeah, it's not quite ripe dead because I think given the fact that they're both so popular, they both kind of just have to be ripe because like, yeah, they're just like ultimately more overworld on the whole. Anyways, this is all to say, I just think it's significant that they are have these big stages open to them in this year and that um you know i mean obviously aging stars like continue to go on tour that's not like in and of itself unique but i think my gut reaction when i heard about both of these things was not oh this is kind of sad like aging star like you know grasping for relevancy um, even though there like is a part of that, but it was more like, oh yeah, that makes sense because like <laughs> no one is stepping up to the plate. So, um, anyways, I wanted to note that. Um, okay. What else? Um, oh my gosh, I've been seeing all of this chatter in the past month about like, everyone is watching girls, blah, blah, blah. There was like an ID article about that. And then also like Tinks is like watching girls. And then her whole fandom is like now getting on the train or whatever. Just so many people have like I don't know. I've just been like feeling this in the ether of like so many people are watching girls, um, which is very exciting and um, weird. But I guess maybe it speaks to the point I was saying in the Lena Dunham episode that people are like, you know, you just have to give things like this 
a little bit of time. They need to kind of like mature and like simmer down. And then people are like, wow, this is so good. Like it's, she really gets how people work. It's like, no shit. This is kind of like, like I was talking to my boyfriend about like, I was like pissed in January because the gym was so busy. And I was just like, oh my God, blah, blah, wine, wine, wine. He was like, that's not the right way to think about it. Like this is ultimately what we want, right? So um, like we want people to be exercising. We want people to be working out. Uh, we want the gym to be busy. That's like, a, that's a sign of like harmony in the world so that's the same thing with girls where like I have to catch myself because I'll be like oh like late and then it's like no it's ultimately good this like we want people to watch and love girls and love Lena Dunham so anyways it's a good fight um oh okay well this actually kind of relates to our topic today so do you guys remember um the <laughs> the period proof underwear thinks um this was so this was a an underwear line that i feel like was i don't know at least i was getting a lot of ads for it in like 2018 2019 this is very the wing era of like feminist products um so basically it was like period proof underwear so i'm gonna like botch the messaging so don't like this is not verbatim but you know essentially it was like oh you know like tampons are like actually an item of patriarchy like women have to buy these and they're not compensated in kind like you know that all of that kind of stuff it's like <laughs> i mean whatever um anyways and so they came out with a lot things came out with a line of period proof underwear so you could just fully like free bleed excuse my language like in the underwear that was the that was the product okay whatever um I never tried was never moved to try but I did get a, a hundred million ads for that I feel like there was like in the subway everywhere you know like it was a big it was a big thing um anyways they just um got handed a lawsuit well actually the lawsuit was settled um yes <laughs> the the complaint filed in may 22 reads in reality thinks underwear contains <laughs> um contains harmful chemicals which are a safety hazard to the female body and the environment you get the point it's just like you know there's this is the this is kind of the circle of life of like okay whatever um one thing I want to do before we jump into the Cami Teles is do a review of Stargirl criteria. Um, for a number of reasons. One, it's kind of an ever-evolving definition, right? And so it's nice to check in as it's um, like morphed and refined itself. Um, but also because I'm getting some rogue nominations in my DMs. <laughs> some people are being like, is she a Stargirl? I'm like, um, hate to say, but no. Um, so, um, but, but the, uh, caveat that I will say there is that, like, I think that there's, um, you can have personal star girls. I think anybody who particularly obsesses you, infuriates you personally, is someone that can be on your personal star girl map. Honestly, I think Cami Telez, like, probably a lot of people would be like, not a star girl, not a threat, no dream detected, like, let it go. For me, I have all this personal rage against not her, but what she represents to me. And so, like, therefore, she's a star girl in my mind. So, that is all to say, it's okay. It can be a star girl to you and not to me. But then there's another category where it's like, okay, we all agree that Emily Ratajkowski is a star girl. Like that's just more than clear. Um, okay. So, but let's, let's review star girl. So a star girl is a girl that stands out. So there's a couple pieces to this. One, it's a girl who generates conversation. So there's a difference between 
girls that people admire, who they look at, who they maybe want to be, and girls who generate conversation. Sometimes those things go hand in hand, but it's not enough just to be someone who people admire, look at, potentially want to be. So a recent thing that came up um, was Hailey Bieber. Hailey Bieber is someone who I personally think is not a star girl, even though she's a person who lots of people admire, who lots of people look at, who lots of people want to be. She has real like influence over the uh like what we understand in the time slice of today as like as femininity right like she has a lot of influence in a lot of different ways um but she doesn't engender the sort of like hate love response that would make her actually a star girl so like i don't think she's really generating conversation in her maybe her name is we say her name (laughs) oh my god that sounds so bad but we say her name a lot but i don't there's no like dialectic at play with her and so i think the 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 dialectic that that generative force like there's a sense of momentum and just just frenetic energy with a star girl either with them as a person or like the way that the public responds to them, right? There's like, there's urgency and there's like just an element of fire, right? Like someone somewhere is saying, fuck that girl. If no one is saying, fuck that girl, that is probably not a star girl. So there's, you right, there's an element of just fight inherent to them and the way that the public reacts to them. So that's one thing. Um, The second thing is that a star girl has to kind of walk alone like that doesn't mean she can't have friends that doesn't mean she's not beloved obviously but there's you know there's there's a bit of a cowboy narrative um baked into the concept of this star girl right so um there's no co-founder energy it's not someone who moves in a pack it's not somebody who really even looks good in a lineup of hot girls right you know what i mean like there's um there's like Addison is a perfect example. Like when she was um, like early TikTok days, like late 2019, early 2020, when she was in the lineup of all the hype house girls, like she actually, you know, she wasn't as like skinny as any of them. And she wasn't kind of like one of the mold. Like when you lined up all those girls, the D'Amelios, Daisy Keach, even uh, what's, what's her face? Um, Not Alani. Is that her name? Alani? Amani? Um, Whatever. When you had that full lineup of girls, like, it just didn't – God, I really lost my train of thought because I'm forgetting this girl's name. But anyways, um, Addison just stood out in a way that like uh, – I don't know. It, I mean, even to this day, like I feel like when she is photographed alone, it's like, whoa. But when she's photographed in a group, like she's slightly – you know, just like her proportions, the way she carries herself is both is just like out of sync with what a crowd like accommodates, you know? So um, – yeah, I think I think part of the the power of a star girl is like I mean this metaphorically, not literally, but like I think a star girl is often American because I think American traits of whatever individualism and just like freedom <laughs> and bravery, like these are all very like told to us as American traits. Um, and I think that um, if you think of American as just a, as an adjective that describes a way of being, not necessarily a specific nationality like that. That kind of can help with it. Anyway, so we said um, generate conversation, walk alone. Okay, next that we've talked about are girls who are at the top of their genre, or they're the best representative of their genre, or they're actually doing their own thing that breaks the rules of an existing genre and therefore like creates its own. Right. So. Um, A star girl is someone who is an obvious choice, right? An obvious choice to love or an obvious choice to hate, but an obvious choice to single out. This is not the side character. This is not the person where you're like, oh, but what, you know, everyone's obsessed with her, but what about her? No, it's the main original 
obvious choice, right? It's never the vibe of, oh, but her though. No, 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 no. So like if we take like Beyonce versus her sister Solange, right? So Beyonce is the obvious choice in a way that many people might think is boring or basic or just interest in her doesn't say anything interesting about them. But she's obviously the star girl and Solange is the sister who is maybe interesting and cooler and at, at a certain time for a certain type of person was like, uh, there was more social capital in or in being interested in Solange and Solange's vibes than Beyonce. But Beyonce is clearly the star girl and Solange, that's a separate category of interesting person. But that's not what this podcast is about. <laughs> um, okay. Some things that a star girl is not. A star girl is not a whiner. Okay. So, and, and whining... You gotta be extra careful when you're looking, like things that may appear at first to not be whining are actually whining. So I've used this example before, Florence Pugh, not a star girl. One reason is because she kind of whines. I feel like there's always some interview with her, like, and she's always in her kitchen, right? Because she's like being like, a, breaking the boundaries of the idea of Hollywood actors and food or something. So she's like eating or something. I don't know. I feel like there's, it's always like, oh, like the producer asked me to lose 15 pounds. And like, I said, no, you know? And it's like, okay, that is presented to us as, uh, as her disclosing her power, but it's actually her whining. You know what I mean? Upon like closer read, that's a whine. Demi Lovato, also whining, presented to us as, oh, look at her doing breaking boundaries, doing queer, whatever, blah, blah, her deal difficulties with her weight. Okay. I'm not saying any of these aren't like very real interior problems that we all have that potentially make these people relatable, but it is ultimately whining that is giving the relatable. So that's not Stargo behavior, you know? And yeah, I think like anytime you see someone who has produced a documentary about themselves where they're doing the tell-all, it doesn't necessarily disqualify them from being a star girl, but that's not them at their star girl behavior. So like Taylor Swift, this is another huge can of worms. Um, that's definitely its own episode, but you know, like, but I think ultimately she is a type of star girl. But when she did her documentary, that was low behavior. <laughs> so I think that, um, yeah, God forbid I ever decide to uh, do that. Not saying that it's not an impulse to want to tell your side of the story, but it's, yeah, you know, don't answer. You don't need to answer to anyone. Literally, you don't. <laughs> Um, okay, so Star Wars are not a whiner. Star Wars are also not skittish. So we already talked about Hailey Bieber and I mentioned Olivia Rodrigo. These are both people that just seem skittish to me. Do you know what I mean? It feels like they have like very weak back of knees. I don't know how to explain that, but like that's the kind of visual that I get is that their knees will kind of buckle forward really, like it wouldn't take much for them to buckle. I'm like <laughs> acting this out <laughs> as I'm saying it, but um, yeah. Okay, this brings me to a new layer that I have recently thought of. A star girl is someone who is at the perfect intersection of fucked slash amazing. So there are different types of fucked and there are different types of amazing. Some people are fucked and not amazing, and some people are amazing and not fucked. And some people think they're amazing 
and don't even realize that they're fucked. And it's a good thing because the fucked is what is bringing them into the like sparkly, sketchy perfection area, you know? So um, yeah, like some, and some people are neither. Some people are just normal and good. This is very, very crucial for society continuing to operate. Absolutely. I don't know. I'm just thinking, I feel like I work with all these like marketing girls who are like so just good at their job, able to execute, like never complain. Like they're just so fucking competent. And I'm like, I I so admire it. And I am also just like, I, what am I trying to say? Oh my God. I'm like, can't even finish a sentence. But, um, I just think if you think of the fucked slash amazing, then it all comes into play. So it's like Azalea Banks is clearly fucked slash amazing. Um, <laughs> Audrey Gelman clearly fucked, but there's some amazing. Addison is obviously fucked and amazing. Lena Dunham is clearly fucked and amazing. Um, Allison Roman is fucked and amazing. Um, even Sally Rooney is fucked and amazing, you know? So it's, everyone has to just have the perfect mix of the sketchy and just fucked. And then the amazing and wow, you know? So, um, there has to be some like sus elements to a star girl. Like it has to, you know, like Addison's like at the beginning, like, you know, she just seems like a popular girl in high school. And it's like, that is true. And then it very quickly revealed like, oh my God, she has terrible visual taste. Like she was, when, before she got her stylist, she always looked so bad. And um, yeah, so it's, you know, she's so uninhibited that it just like is naturally fucked. Um, anyways, but uh, yeah, so I think we can just keep the fucked and amazing. Like that's the, that's the perfect position. Um, okay. Now we're, I'm going to try to tone it down and get a little bit more serious. I'm also checking the time. Okay. I think we can keep going. Um, okay. So, um, maybe we think of a star girl as someone who violates the public's stated values, but who we are nonetheless drawn to. So it's kind of a, it's a confusing space, right? Because we're forced to ask ourselves, wait, as are my values different than what I thought they were or what I've stated them to be? Um, you have to ask, why am I drawn to this person? Um, do they have something that I want? Do they have something that I want that I'm embarrassed about wanting? By nature of them being them, they remind me of my shame. Do they have something I want that I feel is unavailable to me? And if so, why, right? Like what is holding me back other than my commitment to my belief that it's not me? So why this is all actually critical is because this, like these women who can command attention reveal to ourselves our, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm giving like Brene Brown, but it reveals to ourselves our desires and our shame, right? And so it's just that I feel like they're such martyrs at the end of the day because they offer themselves up as metaphors for everything that we love and hate about ourselves and everything that we want to be are too scared to go after, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So it's just, of course it's meaningful. And, um, yeah, it's like, just, I'm making the heart with my hands. Like, anyways. Okay. So in the case of today's subject, Cami Tellez, Cami is someone who, in some ways, violates my stated values, but who I've noticed over the years I am nonetheless drawn to. And so then we have to go down that line of questioning. So what it, you know, what does she have or do or embody that I want that I'm either 
mad that I don't have, embarrassed that I want, or feel is unavailable to me. And right. So it's like, do I want to own an underwear brand? Do I wish I was Latina and that if so, like more doors would be open to me at this time, right? Like if we're, these are uncomfortable questions. These are really like, I'm, I am re- seeing my ugliness. I am seeing my anger. I am seeing my, uh, I'm seeing the ways that I have internalized certain narratives that keep me small and angry rather than big and successful. Um, so yeah, okay. So yeah, do I wish I was just more successful in some ways? And is there what is it about her success that pinches a nerve that makes me feel like success is unavailable to me or reminds me of my lack of success? Okay. Um, one thing that I thought of is do I wish I had her acuity for understanding demand, for having archival knowledge of images, for at the kind of root, like making something that people want that sells. Right. So it's like, like I've never figured out a way to translate ideas that I feel really strongly about into a product that people want. And so I think that whether or not one is interested in the actual ideas that Cami Telez is putting forth through her underwear brand or the medium that she's putting it forth in, there's, I think there's just, right, there's a, like a jealousy around like, oh, well, you found a way to translate this abstract thing, which is basic, like basically what Cami Telez is doing, okay, I'm like getting ahead of it, but like one thing that she's doing is she's has found a venue to display her encyclopedic knowledge of images, of fashion, of advertising, um, you know, from what we want to say, the last like 50 years or something, right? And so she's found a way to, okay, we'll just get into that later, but put a pin in that for now. So, um, you know, she's found a way to, to like generate demand for her ideas. And I think that is always going to be something that feels threatening because it's really hard to do, you know? And we can get all high and mighty and think like, oh, well, my ideas are like more intellectual or more abstract or more personal. So like my, my audience will necessarily be much, much smaller and truer or whatever. And it's like (laughs) BS, you know, (laughs) like people that are successful, it's like amazing, you know, so whatever. Um, And then she's also just like beautiful and successful and stoic. I just don't think she responds to criticism, even though she does so much disclaiming upfront around the uh, kind of social justice of her underwear project, which is annoying in its own right. On the on the backside, she doesn't really like respond to criticism that she receives. So um, I think that she is a star girl because she kind of she holds her ground in that way. Um, yeah, and and she's like she's cool, not cool as in like capital C cool, but like as opposed to warm. And so there's something that is very like withdrawn about her. Like, I don't know, kind of that kind of beckons, even though she is not doing anything like edgy, I guess. And so um, as someone who is just like, I have this friend, well, you guys know Molly. Molly always tells me that like, as opposed to resting bitch face, I have resting eager face. So yeah, I just, I'm, I'm, always kind of jealous of people who have that like natural coolness and remove 
Um, it wouldn't be true for me to to not <laughs> to not smile with teeth, I guess. <laughs> um, okay. So the question that I've been really interested in is, what do people do when they get the keys to the kingdom? And so if we look at the girls that we've talked about so far, there's a variety of responses to getting handed the keys to the kingdom, right? So when Gia got handed the keys to the kingdom, she really shied away from that power. She really got ashamed of that position and, um, you know, put out all this effort to try to kind of reframe herself as less successful as more of a have not than she actually was, right? Remember in her episode, I like read her her wedding announcement where it was like, you know, it's almost like she has so much normie shame that she just has to be like, but don't worry, like I'm not getting married because I love my husband. I'm getting married for the collective. And it's like, wait, what? That doesn't even track. But you know, so there, that's one type of response. Um, there is another type of response that like, like Allison Roman kind of doubles down and is like, you know, she kind of like bitch slaps everyone and then like gets a little bit startled by her own bravado, right? Like, so it's like, okay. Um, so that's one type. Like Lena Dunham is someone who really could embody being a star and people really hated that. Julia Fox, when she gets handed the keys to the kingdom, when she's like the hottest woman on earth dating like one of the highest profile men in the world, then she has she shies away from it too in her in her own ways, right? And aligns herself with other channels of culture that are, you know, less kind of normatively powerful. And so, and we'll talk about that throughout this episode because it comes up a lot with Cami Telez um, in a variety of ways. But um, to go back to this question of what do people do when they get to the keys to the kingdom, I am looking to identify who does not shy away from power. Who, when they get it, can actually rise to the occasion, right? There's so much pressure from culture to understand yourself as a have-not, as we've talked about a million times. So I'm interested in people who can just fully embody the power that they're given and do it in a way that doesn't abuse it, do it in a way that's graceful and poised and not like suddenly start apologizing or doing this fake out and telling us that they're actually not powerful because they're actually marginalized in X, Y, Z ways. Do you know what I mean? Like who can just like zip it and walk forward, you know? Um, okay, so we're talking about Cami Telez today. Cami Telez is the founder CEO of Parade, which is an underwear brand. Parade kind of like came on the scene in 2020. I'll like talk about that a little bit more now, but it's been, um, I don't know. I mean like really successful in all of the like funding that they've raised there. You are probably just, uh, engulfed in their ads. Like they're, it's just everywhere. Like it's, it's just kind of this vague omniscient vibe of parade. <laughs> um, you know, she was on 30 under 30, right? So she was kind of the first like Gen Z CEO. She's been so, um, loud in my brain, um, like for the past couple of years, like, because I was really like perturbed by, um, by parade when it first came on the scene. And then I've just like kept a close eye. Um, but I know that I care about her because she's like often like one of the first Instagram stories that (laughs) come up and like, okay, apparently I'm thinking about her. Um, anyways, but I'm, then I started to think like maybe many people like don't actually know who she is and don't, um, don't care or don't even know who parade is like parade is arguably like irrelevant like I don't know but it just it's it's gotten under my skin so it's relevant to me and I think that the 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 reasons that it has gotten under my skin are like 
absolutely relevant to our discussion. Okay. So, um, yeah. Oh, wait, one tiny thing. I am actually kind of scared to put out this episode because I feel like Cami Telez is the exact type of girl that definitely has her Google alerts on. And like, she just seems so diligent and like perceptive and like calculated that like, I feel like she might find this somehow, some way, <laughs> but uh, anyways, keep going. Okay. So let's run Cami through some paradigms because that is the best way to make her legible for this entire audience, regardless of if they know who she is or know what's going on with Parade. Okay, so uh, Ripe Dead. She is a person who falls on that dividing line for a couple of reasons. She's kind of ripe because she's clean, right? And (laughs) she's the CEO, like she's a business lady. She's very overworld. But, and this goes to the like the stoicism and the the kind of the coolness as opposed to warmth that I was talking about is like, there's a bit of remove just in the way she holds herself physically. Once she starts talking, she leans in and she's very like perfectly media trained and, you know, she's a really good speaker. But, um, you know, she holds her eyes kind of at half mast and she has like, I don't know. Okay, this is going to sound really in the weeds, but just bear with me. Like she has a lot of eye space. So yes, she has big eyes, but it's more like on the skeletal level, like the space between her brow bone and her cheekbone is just very big. I have really started zeroing in on this because I'm getting all these like plastic surgeons on TikTok who are like, do you know why Gigi Hadid is so beautiful? It's the eye space. And just like talking about the that cavity, I guess, is very striking. And then the way she holds her, she has heavy lids. And so it just, it feels very like sensual and as I keep saying, like removed and just like, which all falls more into the dead category to me, even though she is this very agentive, um, just girl boss, right? So um, anyways, that's what I'll say about that. Okay, then nature artifice, she's like at the far, far end of artifice, right? Like she's up there with like Tinks and Audrey Gelman for me because she is clearly so calculated and she's a businesswoman, so that makes sense. Like she wouldn't be successful otherwise, but like everything she does feels like the product of intense analysis and calculation, right? As opposed to feeling like, oh, the, you know, like as I'm just like floating through life, right? So we talked about with Sydney, like she, even though she is like also a businesswoman in the way that, you know, she like has conducted herself moving up the ranks in Hollywood, it feels much more breezy, you know? Um, Addison is not a businesswoman and it definitely is feeling breezy. With Cammie, it is feeling very robotic, right? So she's very artificial to me. Okay, um, cat, dog, mouse face. She's definitely a cat face, right? Wide set eyes. The angle of her face is going like diagonal up and out, okay? So that makes sense. Um, as opposed to dog, which is like a long vertical line or mouse, which is like pointy forwardness. Um, okay, then sun, moon, star. I mean, a star girl can be sun, moon, or star, right? Like I think that Sydney is definitely a moon. Like Azalea Banks is clearly star. Sun... Like maybe Allison is sun. I mean, she's very star as well, but Emily Ratajkowski, obviously star. Grimes, clearly a star. Um, Okay, anyways. Um, With Cammie, I guess I would assume that she's a moon. Like it feels sun-like because she is the center of something. She obviously has a gravitational pull, like in terms of like the business and she's able to like rally people and bring people together. But her energy just seems a little bit more observant, which feeds into the like 
calculatingness. Like, she's definitely not star vibe. Star is, like, spazzing out, zipping off the walls, being like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Like, you know, and it's actually, it's very, like, uh, entertaining, but it's not necessarily pro-social. Moon is, like, yeah, removed, observant, wise. And then sun is, um, like, able to bring people together, warm, blah, blah. Um, I should have just explained this at the beginning rather than at the end, but whatever. So I think that she is probably moon vibe. Okay, then to the fluffy, sparkly. I think that she is a sparkly grounded angel yeah no fluff is detected grounded or cloud yeah she's definitely grounded she's living in the material world she's able to execute and then mom or angel I was there's like some mom elements because she like runs business and she's like you know running shit but I think that that is more a result of the grounded material world like thing than being nurturing in a way also she's just so young oh I should have said that I think she's like 24 years old or something so um that is giving more of the angel and I just feel like the way she portrays herself is more like you know like like I'm I'm kind of a I'm a prize rather than like I'm looking for the prize also I feel like in the last time I, I episode I didn't explain fluffy and sparkly so well and um the what I have landed on a good differentiation between them which is sparkly is something that you're moved to watch and fluffy is sparkling that you're moved to squeeze. (laughs) So the watch, right. It's like, it's like dazzling. It's like perfect. It's like polished. It's like, wow. And fluffy is like, I want to squeeze you. Like you look so, you know, so that's the difference. Um, yeah. Like, like, let me think of an example. Okay. Like, like Grimes is sparkly because it's just like, Oh, whoa, what's happening there? Whereas, Addison is fluffy because it's just like, I want to, you know, so anyways. Um, okay, moving on. So back to Cami Solez. So uh, when we discuss her work, this is interesting. This is, and I think that this is emblematic of the time that we are in. There's a couple layers to this. Are we talking about actually the product, the underwear that her company produces? For me, no, I've never bought it. I don't have anything to say. I have no knowledge of it, but that is one way that you could assess her work. Um, are we talking about her CEO-ship? <laughs> like, are we talking about how she behaves either in her literal business or as a representative publicly of her business um, in this role of a CEO and kind of like, yeah, that that persona that she's putting forward? Are we talking about the marketing of Parade, which is arguably what Parade is, right? It is these advertisements and it's kind of more Cami as this like vague art director of this company, right? I talked about that a little bit at the beginning. It's like her company often feels not so much a venue for her to create sustainable, inclusive underwear, but a venue for her to display her knowledge of of images. Just the way that she is always like posting, this line is like inspired by blah, 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 this runway show in whatever, or like this random line of uh, cleaning product ads from the 70s or whatever. I don't know if that's a literal example, but that kind of thing she's always doing, you know, she's always like, oh, I'm taking my encyclopedic knowledge of images in advertising, in fashion, in, um, in Hollywood, in like porn, whatever. And I'm like, baking this into my underwear product. Like she's always doing these like homages. Whether or not it's successful is a different conversation. Personally, I think it's always just gonna feel like a little too cheap and kind of hokey, like actually in the execution. But 
it seems to me that she cares less about that and more about that she has this platform to display her knowledge, right? So anyways, um, that's something. Oh, another point is like, the uh, that's just significant about her is like, like we know that we've been in Fall of the Girl Boss for years now and she kind of like eked out. You know, she's a generation younger than Emily Weiss. Um, what's her name? Tyler Haney. Um, uh, what's the, her, the man repeller chick? Leandra Medine, okay, Audrey, all of them. But um, Cammy is like younger than them, so it's kind of like in a different class. But she, you know, kind of right when the cut is declaring the girl boss is dead, then like Cammy was like right on her rise. We would have thought she would have gotten snuffed out before she could even begin, but she didn't because she made a handful of very shrewd business decisions, which we'll talk about. Okay, so um, two themes that I'm interested in with her as a business owner with a vision <laughs> is one, this kind of this fuzzy line between art and editorial. And this is like one of the most urgent issues of our time, <laughs> if you ask me. So like all art looks like editorial and all editorial is fashioned into art, right? And so this, this poses a few kind of issues. One is that, so one of the things is that so now advertorial and editorial is now considered art, at least by the measure of criticism is interested in it, right? So like, and this has been happening for a long time. This is kind of just like post-structuralism, right? But like, okay, like Nami Fry as a prime example, right? Like we allow critics or encourage critics or just not, it's not even personal, but it's just like editorial and advertorial is fair game for like proper craft-based criticism now. That was not always the case. Criticism used to be reserved for what like bounded art forms, right? Where we were assessing the craft of opera, the craft of ballet, the craft of movies, blah, 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 blah. Now it's very diffuse and anything is kind of fair game to attack with a like a, a critical eye. That isn't necessarily wrong, but it is a fuzzy space because these things also, so at once they get to be considered on this critical level, but they also have an easy out because they're not really art, right? So anytime something is like bad or cheap or poorly done it's kind of just like oh well we're not doing that so it's, it's a very interesting space um and then I think wait there was another thing to it too um well one problem is just everything looks the same um okay I kind of lost my train of thought damn because this is actually something I wanted to talk through but um I'm sure it will come up again but maybe we can just plant that as a topic in our brain of fuzzy line between art and editorial as it pertains to cami and parade and as it pertains to world at large okay um oh well I guess I'll just say like that is not only a phenomenon of creators but it's also a um phenomenon of like cultural criticism so like Displaying your knowledge of visual culture is kind of essentially what a lot of cultural criticism, quote unquote, has devolved into, right? So it's a lot of what we are considering criticism is not actually anything, anyone saying anything interesting, but just demonstrating their consumption, right? And so there's so much cachet built into having encyclopedic knowledge. And that that is good, right? Like definitely do your homework. This is something that I really struggle with. I'm like so quick to just be like, oh, I have like a, I have an instinct about something and so it's true. And like, I don't always have the, like I haven't like consumed enough. So I'm trying to work on that, but I don't know. I just think that many people are putting forth 
air quotes ideas, but it's not ideas. You're just showing stuff. You're just showing us stuff that you've consumed. Right. So it's like, that's not like, that's cool that you know this, but that's not in and of itself art or criticism just that you can demonstrate this knowledge. I don't know if this is making sense. <laughs> I'll think of some examples and give them. <laughs> so that um, it's not so abstract. The other thing on Cami, like thematically, is that, um, and this is absolutely not exclusive to her, but like, I think there's a lot of understandable fear about having a, a venture that centers on you or having a goal that is purely around your own um fame or something or what am I trying to say basically there's a lot of people who are putting forth a venture whether that's an art project or a um, company or whatever that doesn't center on them but is clearly a means to an end of their own like fame or stardom or people being interested in them or being beautifully photographed or being like being talked about right and um that is not at all wrong but what I'm more interested in is like why if there's this you know there's a palpable desire in so many people to like be famous to be talked about to like be a star whatever that means and like there's so much shame around that which again also makes sense but I just I wish that there was I wish we didn't have to go through the motions of of like trying to create something that like we take all these pains to be like it's not about me it's not about me and then it's like, but it actually is, it's like about getting you some, like, you know, it's like the stepping stone to being about you. Like I was joking to, well, you guys know Callie. I was joking to Callie like a year ago. I was like, oh my God, like I used to think like if you're, if you're creating like a zine or like a newspaper or something, but like that's clearly just a means to the end of like throwing a hot party in New York. Like please refrain from throwing the hot party and just like focus on the like integrity of the work. And now I think like, please don't make the thing like please just throw the hot party like please do not at all make the thing like whenever like just please leave it alone so um anyways I've been thinking about that but the um as this pertains to Cami, Jesus I'm I told you my brain was scrambled eggs you guys um is that like with parade like early on I just always wondered this about her right I was like okay when will this inevitably reveal itself to be like a project that enables like interest in her right so I just always had wondered about her and like when that moment will come and like she definitely has just recently started posting like modeling pics of herself so that's kind of a first foray but um yeah like I said at the beginning like she is very stoic and she is very calculated and like she doesn't really she never does something that I'm like, oh, there, we, now we've got you. You know, she's very, very careful. Um, so it's interesting. So um, to the point about Parade and why, like, what is my issue with it, I guess? Um, I think that there's two main things, um, two main categories. One is what I'm calling like the two-two-ness of it. <laughs> so I'll get to that. And the second is this, it seems to be reflective of this impulse to understand yourself as counterculture or disruptive when you are in fact not. <laughs> so those are the two things. Um, again, like I said at the beginning, like the, the deeper why I care is a little bit lost on me because um, Parade is, as I've said, like arguably 
irrelevant and um <laughs> I don't know, but whatever. I care. Okay, so to the first point, the the two two. So it just feels too placed, right? Like, um, I feel like there's always been this element to it that feels both uncanny and insidious, right? So in the early days of Parade, like it just was popping up all over the place because she was like expertly selecting the exact right, like small influencers to do this for her. And not just like the meme account, <laughs> not just the, not just the hot admins, um, but like, right, like, uh, Patia's fantasy world, like that girl, like Rachel Sennett, like she was like picking all those, but then she was also randomly picking like these two like twins that I'm forgetting their names, right? That's Sabina and Annabelle. I don't know if you guys, do you guys know this? I feel like the last name is like Menchke or something. And, um, but they were doing all these just like funny videos and then like they were parade girls. And I was like, wait, what, how is this like coming into every corner? I lived in bed at the time and it felt like it was just like, just like slowly coming closer and closer and closer. Um, like I would see these girls on Instagram, like post like in their bedroom in their parade underwear, like their really little, like, like what's the word? Whatever the package they had received from parade. And then I'd be like, oh my God, that is literally one street over from me. Like I can see the building in her background. And that is the like, I, I was just like, <gasps> like I feel like I'm getting suffocated by this. So I was, that felt really uncanny and insidious. Um, but then the larger thing is like, she's always just doing the exact on the nose thing for culture, right? She's hyper self-aware of kind of the correct thing to be doing. And this is eaten up by investors and media people, et cetera, right? So there's like body positivity, eco-friendly slash sustainable stuff. Like the fact that she's included trans models from the the beginning she's like always had inclusive sizing up to like I don't know what top size but anyways right so it's kind of like the perfect corporate DEI nightmare but with enough cool cultural illusions that it kind of slips by right but it just like I think to me I'm just like oh I don't like this vibe of like I just don't like it to feel this manufactured so this is the two-two-ness of it Oh, and then the, the second point is the kind of masquerading as counterculture when it's actually just reflecting what it is. So my boyfriend talks about this all the time with just like, um, with like grunge, right, in the 90s, where it was like, these people really believed themselves to be like the 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 counterculture, the disruptors, whatever. But it's like, no, you're just doing, like, this is actually just the most popular thing right now. And you're just, you're just also doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, and then so that... It's so ridiculous because you obviously can't control people's perception of themselves, but it's kind of just like this this real, this fire that I get where I want to shake people and I'd be like, you're not doing anything interesting. You're literally coloring literally exactly within the lines. Like, I need you to know that. I need everyone to know this, you know? Um, so anyways, there's an element of that. So I, um, I wrote this piece about parade. <laughs> <laughs> this little like stupid rant um it came out oh my god almost exactly two years ago it was published january 29th 2021 and actually michaela was the editor of this um so i'll read to you guys the some of it and that i think gets at what i'm explaining both with the two-two-ness the manufactured element as well as the um commitment to understanding itself as counterculture when it is in fact mainstream culture okay i will say that I wish I had just written this piece as a, I don't like this argument, but instead I was trying to make some like larger <laughs> statements, um, all of which, which were a wrong, did not come to fruition and were just be just, just fully fell flat. So, <laughs> but whatever, I had to get it out. Okay. So this is called late to the parade, the self-own of influencer marketing in 2021. 
The typical parade spawn con looks like this. A racially ambiguous young woman kneels before a mirror, nude save for a cropped hoodie, neon eyeshadow, satin gloves, and a pair of high-waisted mega-bright briefs. In the background, we get glimpses into her cozy, sexy lifestyle. An animal print rug, a Monstera houseplant, a disco ball, a fluffy unmade bed. The photo is unfiltered, her body unretouched. In the caption, she lovingly calls attention to her, quote, thighbrow or tummy. Hers is a safe space full of loudly proclaimed self-love, notably absent of subtlety. If the vibe is hard to pin down, it's because it's ubiquitous. With so many fatty signifiers of wokeness slapped together, Parade's manufactured boldness fails to garner any real intrigue. Actually, it looks just like botched AI. So the botched AI, the, that is like just so much about what I hate about everything. It's just, right, The back to when I was talking about the, that old Uber Eats ad with Lil Nas X and what's his face? Elton John, that's the botched AI again, you know? So it really, it, I was going to say it irritates me, but it actually moves me to this, like I have a physical response to it where I'm just like, not, I, no, <laughs> not this. Anyways, okay, let's see if there's anything more to read. Um, Nevertheless, over the last several weeks, mass market fashion adjacent outlets from the cut to L to New York Times styles have become fixated on de decoding parade, the direct-to-consumer underwear company that has exploded on Instagram in the past few months. To be sure, Parade is one of the most successful Gen Z brands on the public radar, having earned $10 million in revenue in its first year. But the preoccupation with the brand's alleged market disruption, and by extension, its cool factor, seemed to presuppose Parade as a generational tastemaker, failing to consider that the company is simply following the political and aesthetic template has the, that has been laid out for it. Right, so this is the, we're coloring outside of the lines when you're literally coloring literally perfectly exactly in the lines. Okay. Parade was founded in 2019 by Cami Telez and Jack DeFuria. Oh! Point on this. So she actually technically is the co-founder. Remember I said Stargirl is not co-founder energy, but she had the business smarts and calculation to drop the Jack DeFuria. So he's nowhere to be seen anymore, right? This is Cami Telez, CEO, boss babe, underwear, sketchy, whatever. Fuck slash amazing. Okay. Um, okay. Blah, blah, blah. Two 22-year-olds intent on, according to their website, rewriting the American underwear story. So often my issues with things do come down to their copywriting, <laughs> which is not fair, but in this case it is it is true. Okay, Cami Telez has said that she aimed to upend the market space left in Victoria's Secret's wake, and outwardly at least, the brand has loudly differentiated itself from other long-standing intimates brands. As opposed to other self-described underwear revolutionaries such as Spanx and Skims, Parade does not advertise smoothing, cinching, or seamlessness. Instead, the $9 color-blocked thongs and boy shorts, with palette names like maraschino, party trick, and bite, promote comfort and self-expression, much like it should be noted, Rihanna's Savage X Fenty line, which debuted in 2018, blah, 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 okay. Parade has also taken several ethically-minded, though somewhat obvious and reactionary, steps to circumvent the criticisms leveled at other women-owned Instagram-first companies. Okay, so this is getting into the girl boss, how did she eke out alive? From the get-go, they, speaking of Parade, they've offered extra small to 3XL sizing, worked with models of all colors and sizes, committed to using 85% recycled material and compostable packaging, and pledged to donate 1% of all proceeds to Planned Parenthood. Okay, so yes, all net good, but it's just, just, uh, you get it. And although the brand has partnered with several big-name celebrities, Ashley Graham, Lourdes Leon, who's Madonna's daughter, it has also primarily gained clout via a lower-level, more organic-feeling web of mean heiresses, com comedians, and other online it girls. Um, oh, I actually I already mentioned Rachel Senna and um, Patia. Um, who promote the brand in exchange for gifted merch, another move that has initially seemed to differentiate Parade from the oversaturated influencer ecosystem. 
But while such a micro-influencing strategy can feel dizzying in its insidiousness, it's uncanny to see a brand suddenly appear in every corner of one's network, it is far from new. In fact, brands across categories and market tiers, Bumble, Majuri, Daniel Wellington, it's like, why did I include? It's not relevant. Um, blah, 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 have turned to smaller account partnerships in recent years, often adopting similar product gifting programs in place of actual monetary compensation. Given all of this, Parade exists less as an enigmatic trend center and more as the de facto case study into the current wave of what we might call exposure feminism, wherein progressivism is signaled through hypersexualized lo-fi imagery designed to communicate both a behind-the-scenes authenticity and a post-ironic sex positivity. Okay, yes, let's break it down again. De facto case study into the current wave of what we might call exposure feminism wherein progressivism is signaled through hypersexualized lo-fi imagery designed to communicate both a behind-the-scenes authenticity and a post-ironic sex positivity. Okay, it's an aesthetic posture that's become popular in personal posts over the past few years, but Parade may be the highest-profile company to incorporate it so explicitly and so undiscerningly into its marketing schema in an attempt to reach the archetypical Gen Z cool girl. Okay, yeah, then I just started to just try to make a larger cultural argument, which is sketchy and wrong. You can read if you want and don't read if you don't want. Um, but I think this kind of, I'm actually, I like, I'm like, okay, I articulated it well, and these are beliefs that I still hold. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that um, little article that I just read uh, was published two years ago, right? So Parade has evolved um, in, in, in particular, like uh, politics that they're putting forth in their look and feel and design and whatever of their products. But the ethos has remained the same, where assuming Cami Telez at the helm of the ship is uh, watching very closely, again, the moon vibe, how culture is progressing, what are the cool causes to get behind, therefore what causes will sell, therefore what she can align parade with in order to both be a successful company and be perceived as good. Okay. So we already talked about body positivity being something early on, environmentalism. Then she was very vocal about using trans models. Then she was very vocal about sex work and that whole discourse. So she's, you know, she's very like um, tightly aligned to where kind of, you know, progressive or progressive coded conversations are moving and like keeping the business as like an ally of those things. So th this is actually one thing that I was going to say. So we've been talking about people who are denied the role of the, the ally or the mascot of a cause, even when they are literally the thing, right? So Azalea Banks not going to be the right uh, ally for black people. Um, Lena Dunham not going to be the right ally for fat people, whatever. So Cami Telez is in the reverse position where she somehow gets to be the perfect ally despite not being actually in any way of the people that she is an ally for, right? She's very thin. She's straight to my knowledge. Oh my God, am I going to get like murdered now? And she's <laughs> not straight, whatever. She is like very beautiful in a very no de decoding necessary way. Like she's very just kind of like she is a normal girl. Right. And so this but but she is kind of uh, rejecting that position. The same thing we were talking about with like Gia and with Julia Fox, like shame of the normie power and then like refashioning themselves as an ally for something that like they actually like are not even related to at all. Right. Um, and so, OK, like it, uh, this is not 
quite on the nose, but just like one like annoying thing that slightly relates is like, so they just came out last week parade with this like um, line of like kind of harness inspired harness and like uh, what's like just kind of like dungeon inspired um, clothing. And this is just like so perfect of just like, oh, okay, of course you fucking would. You know what I mean? It's like you're, I don't know, there's just, it's just like a many such cases moment, right? And it actually reminded me of Julia Fox where it's like, okay, this just like normal, normal, beautiful, like straight, or I guess Julia Fox told... <laughs> told Z-Way she has a quote-unquote gay bone, no comment there, but, you know, just in so many ways, just, like, people who are emblematic of, like, normie traditional power, like, there's so much, like, shame around that, and so then they just, like, they can't embody the full power of that, and then said so they just start, like, appealing to the techno-queers, right? And so it's, like, this is just, uh, just so many chicks all over New York just doing the same thing, and it's, like, you are a normal-ass bitch, and that's so fucking fine, like, stop doing this stop with the charades you know so yeah it just it's annoying <laughs> to me um so and it's also just like it's interesting like it's like how what is the special sauce of Cami Tellez where she has this she's just either so calculated or so pure maybe I've got it all wrong I don't know and she's able to kind of seamlessly be allowed to be in ally and a spokesperson for all of these you know quote-unquote marginalized groups fat people like people of all races trans people sex workers etc etc despite just being like a normal rich girl who went to Columbia, you know, I'm just like, what? Like, it's like so random. Um, this is what's interesting is like, she came out clear, but she's okay as a girl boss, even though like that all came tumbling down. And she's like, okay, as an ally, even though like, you know, people have their eagle eye out to like call bullshit on this type of thing. And like, she clearly has a very special ability to just be viewed as good and interesting and disruptive even though she is okay it's not that she's not good and interesting but she's not disrupting anything and she's not like like she's not doing anything new or challenging right um everything is so exactly on the nose as we've talked about and I don't know it always just feels like she like knows something that we don't know or something you know like okay like last week for instance, Instagram ban or unbanned like nipples. <laughs> and the same day, Cami posted a picture of herself in a like sheer top with her nipples showing. And this was significant for a couple of reasons because she never really posts. Actually, only recently has she been in a parade ad. She, to my knowledge at least, correct me if I'm wrong, she wasn't like putting her body really out there. Her nakedness was not something that we were, like that she was like putting on our radar. And so I don't know, I'm just like, wait, what? It's just like, it's just so on the nose anyways. Um, so yeah, I guess like, I mean, I've talked about this a lot, but just to the, again, to the question of like, what am I even raging against? And if any of you feel this way too about her or about if you have a, a similar thing that like just incites this kind of like, no feeling like it's like I'm not actually mad at like parade itself is actually innocuous right it's like who cares like why would I even be mad that an underwear random underwear brand who's targeting people like 10 years younger than me is even like why do I even care I'm not actually raging against Cami. I'm not actually raging against the idea of 
uh, all of these different groups being represented, but it's just the, the two tunis of it. Like, I don't want culture to feel this manufactured. I don't want people who are so, who are putting forth things that feel so manufactured and obvious and just of the times to get either the, like the A plus or to get the like mark of disruptor or whatever. Like, I don't know. I just think like, I back to the claustrophobia energy, it's just the, like when culture feels too placed and so designed, it's just like, yeah, it is very claustrophobic and it is really depressing, right? This whole kind of like better world by design idea in general just fills me with like deep, just ennui, I guess. I'm just like, okay, like what? You know, like I want to wake up and be surprised and be thrilled and be like, look at all this beauty and like mystery. And instead I'm like, wait, this is just ugly and boring. And it's like, sad um anyways like okay I also I was like searching in my notes app for like Cami Tellez of just like anytime I had like typed a little note about her to myself over the years and I found this one actually from when I was developing the first Stargirl episode on Audrey Gelman and they have a lot of similarities right in the fact of kind of like they're building this empire around a discrete product but it's actually like a very diffuse brand that's kind of you know kind of everywhere always this omniscience feeling right both with the wing which was uh, a co-working space, but much more than that, and Parade, which is an underwear brown brand, but much more than that. Anyways, what I had written is, uh, relating to both Audrey and Cami, was that we become really annoyed when we see a brand that unites under one umbrella all of the things that we're doing because we want to feel like we're thinking independently, right? So this is kind of the the other side and maybe the like you know important self-admission um, to the two-placeness is like, okay, so yes, there is an element of feeling like, oh, this is all too manufactured, this is too by design, like this isn't leaving like room for that. But then there's the other side of like, it abrases my sense of myself as an independent thinker because like, like it's refracting back to me all of these things that maybe I feel like I have a unique perspective on, or I feel like I'm seeing connections on and like it, you know, it's very energizing to think like, oh, I'm seeing all these connections in culture, these connections that feel so sparkly and like, uh, you know, energized in our brain to see them refracted back at mass scale. It's just like, oh, I'm dumb. Like (laughs) I'm like just one of the masses. Um, right. Because we just like, as always want to conceive of ourselves as original. Um, so anyways, I don't know if I had like a full point there, but I think that if one has like adverse reactions to parade, I think that there is in some ways kind of just like the Gen Z version of the wing where it's like, you know, the wing was so so perfectly refracting back to us all of these different like items, the people that they align themselves with of the look and feel of things that, you know, the design of their spaces, they're like every, oh, the messaging, it all was like so perfectly just like this again, botched AI of like millennial girl bossism. And then parade is just the botched AI of like whatever the next wave of, you know, as I said in that essay, like fatty signifiers were. I am still actually grappling with the, like, like why does it bother me so much to see, to feel like I'm seeing people get credit for pushing boundaries when what they're doing is like not actually boundary pushing. Yeah, to see like culture reward things that feel lame to you is sad, you know? It's like, you want my team to win, (laughs) whatever. It's like, I want what I think is cool to be said is cool or what, I don't know. It's, it all feels very flimsy and just like childish or something. I don't know like why I care, right? Like, um, it's like, remember that category I was talking about in the Lena Dunham episode about like the highest profile best work, um, which I was saying like Lena Dunham, (laughs) Lena Dunham, who else did I say? 
uh, David Lynch, Lil Wayne, or something. <laughs> that these are the like the, the the people that find one by one way or another the resources to get their work into a mass market audience, but retain the kind of the 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 edgy brilliance of their work, right? And those those things are like in conflict with each other a lot. So when you find something that like you know feels like it's retaining that and they, they like forms this apex that's actually really tense, that's um, that's like huge, right? And so it's like I don't want parade. I don't want people to think that parade is in that category. You know, I'm just like no. It sacrificed weight. Like, there's no edge or anything in there. Like, it's just like a pop. It's just like a mass market brand or something. And maybe no one's even saying this. This is the thing. Like, I don't know why I've gotten so tangled up about it, but whatever. Um, I guess though, like, I'm just. Uh, I have a belief that that anger is very, um, rich. Like, and anytime you feel this rage it's like so worth the investigation of like what's producing it and it's not always as we're sometimes told like a result of like ego you know like I don't know I once had this therapist who told me like anger is not a real emotion or something and I was like I mean I was like 16 at the time which first of all why the fuck was I in therapy at 16 like this is fucked anyways but um Oh, but I just feel like, yeah, anytime I've like examined my anger, it actually like brings me so in touch with my values because I'm like, oh, this thing is moving me in this physical, like chemical way because it is in conflict with something that I feel like I know to be true, you know? And so it's kind of like the, one of the fastest ways to like drop me into my values and to learn about what my values actually are rather than my like, you know, stated like self-aware behavior. That's not my values. That's me like performing what I like am told is good, you know? And so when I, I don't know, this is getting like so random, but it's like building intimacy with your yeses and your nos is one of the most important things. Like, I just feel like getting so in touch with with your instincts and noticing patterns in your instincts and no, just like I like I always say this about my boyfriend when people ask like like what what's the clicking thing and I'm like we could go independently into the same 100 bars in America and we would come back with an almost exact list of the yeses and the noes of like that's the vibe and that is not the vibe and it wouldn't even have to be the vibe that like particularly is targeting us but we can just know you know and so it's like I just feel like getting in touch with that and following the nose and being like, when I feel this full body no, what is it showing me is so great. And so when I feel this full body no to parade, when I feel this full body no to the Uber Eats sign, I'm like, okay, this is dropping me into clarity. So anyways, oh, wait, 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 sorry. One more, one more little thing is that like, uh, I think like around the, I don't want people to, I don't, you know, I don't like the perception of parade as destructive because it actually just it's like, there's just, there's no real stakes or danger. And so there's, uh, and maybe there doesn't need to be stakes or danger in advertisements, but there does need to be in art. And this goes back to the point I made at the top about the like conflation, this fuzzy space of like ads and editorial and art. And like where this, it's this messy space where it's like, well, we've abandoned all the right rules around like what constitutes art. Like we've given it the wrong rules and the wrong leniences, if that makes sense. It's like, okay, I need to do some more thinking about this, obviously, because it's not coming out, but I know that I have the logic buried in my brain, but I just need to do some more work um, on like articulating it. So sorry about that. But I think, yeah, it's just like, there's no real stakes or danger. And so it's not surprising us, but it were 
all pretending like it does. I don't know. <laughs> not to be like we're living in a simulation or something, but like, come on. We all know this is not interesting. Like, no. I think that's all of my notes. Um, thanks for bearing with the like totally uh, the, the the randomness of being of this episode. Um, thank you for everybody who's listening, who's continuing to reach out, who's continuing to share the podcast. I like have had such a psychotic January like that was my fault <laughs> or just taking on too much that I couldn't even execute on. But I'm like, yeah, I just feel so much energy in all areas and I wish that for you too. And um, I think we're going to have a great year. So, so grateful for it all. So have a beautiful start to the month. Enjoy, if you're in New York, this beautiful weather that we're having. And um, as my favorite YouTuber, Whitney Simmons, always says, uh, until next time, I will see you next time.